0: Welcome to the Truth in Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, the Rob Lee. You know, because there's a couple of them out there. I've learned recently. Uh, today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with the president and CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Please welcome Heidi Daniel. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Delighted to have you here. It's it's, it's always good to like t- talk to people in this sort of because I had to I had to try to think about it like information information services libraries things of the sort and i think uh there's an opportunity to do some digging some truth seeking and and so on and obviously that's a big piece of what this podcast is about so um again thank you for being on there on here and before we get too deep into the conversation and i start asking about ice cream flavors and peanut butter and such uh <laughs> Could you share like ultimately the Heidi Daniels story and what brought you to where you're at now? What brought you here? I, I know there are so many great things that happened. What brought you to where you're at right now, your career and in your in your life and here in Baltimore?
1: Yeah, such a big question. I feel like I ask myself that like every. <laughs> um, Why am I
0: here? You
1: know, like, is... I, what brought me to this point? My, my life? no, um, that's actually only when my kids are, you know. Being crazy, um, so actually, my story. I grew up, so I'm. Um, I'm going to go way, way back. So give me a minute here. But I, I was. Um, I'm adopted daughter of a um, factory worker, and my mom cleaned houses, or worked at the school cafeteria, or um, cleaned motel rooms, or um, did housekeeping in a hospital for a while. Basically, was a housekeeper. So in my They adopted me, Uh, they had waited a long time for a child, and when they got me, they made this big commitment that um, I would, they would do everything in their power to send me to college, because my dad had an eighth grade education, my mom graduated high school, but um, that was a feat for her. And she's one of nine, my dad's one of 18, um, from a factory town, you know, big, Uh. (laughs) you know, sort of rural Catholic factory uh, families. And so, they wanted me to have an education and they weren't really clear on what that path looked like. Like a lot of parents, right? Like you want that path for your kid, but if you haven't had it yourself, you have to figure it out. So my mom said, well, I want her to love to read. Um, And I had all the little golden books. Like my mom always loves to tell people like, when I brought you home, you had all the little (laughs) golden books Um, and you know, they'd saved and planned over eight years for those golden books. And so they brought me home and my mom just said, I'm going to take her to the public library because if, she has a library card and can access these books. She'll love to read. And if she loves to read, the world will open up to her. And that was literally her plan for getting me into college. And clearly it worked. And for me, the public library was just this absolute place of refuge. So no matter how chaotic things were in other parts of my life, um, you know, I have a clear memory of going to the grocery store. And I think my parents were using, a, you know, what we would now call a snap or EBT card, and my mom said, go over and look at the magazines and the books. And I had this sense of like shame at checkout a lot of times. Or we would go to a store, and it would be like, no, not till payday, or you have to wait. And not that that's a bad thing for your kids to learn, but the library was the one place where that deficit mentality was never there, right? Like, I could go in, I could take 50 books home. Nobody was going to say anything to me. They were all mine. It was all yes. (laughs) Um, And it really gave me, not only was it about loving to read, but it gave me a place to dream. Sure. And to to think about who I could be. So I had this really personal connection to libraries. Um, I did not plan to go to library school, though. I finished my undergraduate at DePaul University in Chicago. Um, I was a women's studies major. I was accepted into a Ph.D. program and was about to go do that when I realized I did not want to be an academic. And that wasn't my thing. And so I drifted for a little while and uh, ended up through happenstance in Oklahoma City, where I, someone said to me, you should apply for this job in outreach services at a library. And I was like, a library? I'm so <laughs> loud. I'm so like love people. I love to chat. My first job ever was actually at my public library and I got in trouble all the time because my only job was to shelve books and I couldn't do it because like I would read the books. I would chat people up. I was all over the place. They were like, you just come in, you shelve. I don't know why you can't. And I'm like, yeah, but like this person likes this book and I want to talk to them about it. So I thought, well, maybe I'll give it a try. So I got this job in outreach services at a public library in Oklahoma City, a large urban metro system and discovered that I loved it because I loved what libraries did for communities. I came to it through outreach. I always tell people, I don't care how you organize your books, that's not my thing. Um, My thing is how public libraries impact the cities and the communities that they service, how they empower people to reach their goals and the dreams of their communities and how they um, make those resources accessible and help people vet the right information for what they're trying to accomplish in their lives. So because I started an outreach services, I just fell in love. And then I went from Oklahoma City to Houston, um, worked in Houston for a number of years. And the director from Houston happens to be from Baltimore and worked started her career at the Enoch Pratt Free Library. So she would, every month, I was in charge of, for a while, I was in charge of the programming department for Houston, and she would send me The Compass, which, you know, is our monthly magazine, yeah. uh, or bi-monthly magazine. And she would say, look at all the cool things Enoch Pratt does. Like, think about Enoch Pratt. And like, well, you know, she was just always, basically, we had this joke that was like, what would Enoch Pratt do, right? Like, it was our mantra. <laughs> so then when I became a director in Ohio, I took a lot of what I learned in Houston from this director with me. She was definitely a mentor to me. And um, then, you know, I loved my job in Ohio. My first CEO job, it was amazing. But then, you know, Pratt Free Library opened up and my husband said, if you don't apply for this job, I'm going to hear about it for the rest of your life. And I was like, there's no way they will hire me. But OK, I'll throw my hat in the ring because I have thought about you, know, Pratt for so long. Um, and so I did. And here I am. So that's how I got here. So. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you for walking us through that that path. And obviously it's an abbreviated version of it. You gave <laughs> us the like the director's cut version. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that. And, and thank you. Um, so and I, and I have more questions a little bit later as it relates to the uh, the, the eDocPract Free Library and a few other things. But I want to step into talking about innovation a little bit. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts on innovation as it relates to how information is disseminated, and ultimately how libraries? Like, and I, and I guess the question does relate back to the, but how libraries operate in terms of giving that information out and and things of that information, things in that that context.
1: Yeah. So with innovation. For me, innovation is something that libraries have always done in my career. So when I started in public libraries, we were just introducing computers and public computing, right so i've I've been in libraries for a little over twenty years now. Um I was so young when I started, obviously and um they we were still debating you know, oh, how what is our role in allowing access to the Internet? Computers have been around for a while. The Gates Foundation came in, gave us, gave public libraries all across the country funding to um, introduce li- computers and libraries. Um And the internet was big. I was new. People were still figuring out, like, how it would work, what it meant. And libraries were really figuring out, like, how do we integrate this new tool into our services? And, okay. you know, of course, it's been 20 years now. I've been hearing, like, well, it'll be the internet will be the death of libraries because no one will ever go. And, I mean, like, we're busier than ever. So, <laughs> um, so for me, I've seen nothing but innovation from public libraries in my career. So, you, you use just every you were constantly innovating. How do we get information to people in new ways? How do we adapt this new technology that just came out to ensure that we're providing, Um, consistent, true, accurate, vetted information to our communities? How do we empower our communities to use these new information tools to access what they need for their lives? And, you know, we've been talking about digital equity and digital inclusion for 22 years. So now that COVID's happened and everyone is like, digital equity, digital inclusion, we were like, oh, yes, well, (laughs) welcome to the team. You know, we've been here for a while. We're glad to have you as part of our party. So... um, (laughs) <laughs> but you know it was literally something that we've I've thought about my entire career because you watch people come in and know that they're just in different points in this digital equity digital inclusion journey and some of some people don't still don't understand why they need the internet to um to to function in our current society right and our job is to kind of help them figure out those tools so public libraries innovate constantly because we are always trying to be responsive to the new ways our city, our civil society, our communities can access information. And our job is to literally figure out how we train you to um, use these tools to get the right information for you. right? And it's never been a more critical time for that with the way information is disseminated uh, fast and furious and Mm -hmm. in real time and not always correct. Um, As information professionals, it is our job to make sure that folks have um, the tools that they need to critically think through information, to access it correctly, um, to understand the difference between bias and fake news, um, and to really understand the importance of access to that information, right? And the key piece of what we do in libraries, I always tell people, it's not about books, it's not about computers, none of that matters, they're all vehicles, for access and for information. And our job as a public library is to be that piece of civil infrastructure, to be that cornerstone in our community that provides um, access to information in whatever format makes sense for the person and whatever tools society has for us, right? So we're not we're not in, just to use, I feel like this was an old example from my sociology class, like we're not buggy whips, right? People would always or an old business class I took, like, oh, why did the business, you know, the buggy whip people go out of businesses because they only made buggy whips. And it's like, well, that's not us, right? right? We're we're about access and we're about information. And that doesn't limit itself to any one format.
0: No, and, and thank you for that. I, I remember at a point when, you know, I was out of work, um, just, just in this sort of, I was in a non-compete for 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 a while. And I remember just to kind of keep skills sharp. I would pop over there to, I'm, I'm blanking on the branch and Lock Raven maybe. Okay,
1: Northwood probably, Lock yeah. Raven and Cold Spring?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. I would pop over there and it was kind of like this refresher, it was just kind of like, I have a laptop at home, I have the internet at home and I can do all of that stuff, but eh, I'm gonna have fun. I'm, j- I'm just gonna look up like goofy recipes and what anime is popping right now. But at that time I would go in there you know, to to the library and it's about research. It's about like prepping up on certain skills to make me more of a, this is years ago at this point, but more of a resource to find a job um, and in the type of job that I wanted. And where's this information and improving how I do research, how I do Boolean searches and, yeah. you know, things of that nature. Those are some of the programs and some of the opportunities that were there outside of, Hey, you can rent books here. And, you know, here's a catalog of maybe DVDs to watch. Right. That's cool. But, I rather get to something that you know is that 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 bit when you want to hide something from someone, you put it in a book, right. and <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's information overall. And because libraries as an idea, and I and I like that you talked about it being innovative and has been innovative since you've been in that 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 industry. That people don't really look at it that way until they're actually on the inside and. I go back to the conversation I had with Megan about the, uh, um, the, the laptops and that digital equity piece. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the, the ideas, uh, creative ideas, um, whether it's related to innovation or just this is a new way of thinking that you're most proud of during your tenure at the Craft uh, you know, Free Library?
1: Great question. Um, Well, so I am I am actually proud that in the first year of my tenure here, we went fine free because that was, you know, now there's a lot of libraries in the state of Maryland and throughout the country that have gone fine free. But we were one of the first large major library systems to go fine free. Um, One of the I think the first on the East Coast that's a large urban system, Um, the second in Maryland, the other one was a a smaller um, but stellar system. And for us, it was uh, a decision that I feel really good about because I could make both a business case for why we would go fine free and an equity case for why we want fine free. And the equity case was really important to me. The business piece is necessary to convince all the stakeholders, right? But the equity piece was was really critical to me, Um, and it made perfect sense that we would do that. And so I was really proud of that because we immediately were able to welcome back thirteen thousand new cardholders from people who had been banned because they couldn't pay fines. And I would never want that, right? Like. Um, Even in my own experience, like I said, I know what it's like to stand at a checkout line and feel shame because of something that's completely out of your control. And I don't want that for anyone who comes in. the Pratt Library System. So I was really proud of that. I'm proud of, um, you know, I'm just proud of the way that we've continued to try new things. We've introduced so many social service programs since I've been here, because for me, I believe that public libraries are here to serve a whole person, a whole community, and in one space. And so what we often see is um, libraries have, you know, you mentioned looking for a job and all of that. So someone comes in and they are looking for a job. Very rarely do we see someone who comes in and is just looking for a job. A lot of times someone comes in and they're on the computer, they're looking for a job. They don't have home internet access. um, They may not actually have um, a stable housing situation. So they could be housing insecure. So maybe they're concerned about what address to put. It could be that they need an expungement for something for their record. It could be that they're concerned about um, you know, passing the drug test at their work, it could be that they have um, family members with all of these issues and they're figuring out how did they work when they have all of these other issues at home as well. So it's I'm very proud of the fact that in the last five years that I've been here, we have introduced social workers. We had lawyers in the library when I got here. Um, Social workers was being introduced. So we launched that Um, and we have launched recently our peer recovery coaches or peer navigators who are people with lived experience um, and Bring that in, and can help with recovery journeys. Um, I we have digital navigators who can help you with your digital literacy skills. Um, we've expanded, and we do you know coat giveaways. We for warm coats in the winter. We're um, about to start a food pantry in a community that needs it. I think what I'm most proud of overall. Um, I, it's hard for me to point to one thing. I feel like we've done a lot of amazing things in five years, but I think the thing I'm proudest of is the way I've, you know, the team has pushed to think outside the boundaries of that, oh, we're here for this one service hmm. and have really thought about how do we as a community anchor address whole community, whole person needs. No one comes into our building with one isolated issue, nor should we ask them to. I think as a society, we know you show up every day with your whole self we're not, we're people, we're not segmented beings, right? And so we are here to serve people. So maybe a person comes in because they want a bestseller, but by the time they leave, we've also like you know connected them to a mentoring program or a job right. coach. So for me, or they they're taking home a laptop and a hotspot, or we're <laughs> you know they're gonna start a cupcake business. Like that's for me. What I want is for people to come in and and have that. So we've introduced that in a lot of different ways, whether that's through our um, library of things where you can check out sewing machines and. Um, guitars and whatnot, you know, all of the different instruments, um, our artist in residence program, or what it's, you know, some of our social service programs, I really think as a library, we have such an opportune um, position to give people just the space to dream and all of the resources they need to do that. So I keep saying to my staff, like, we deal in dreams, like, that's what we do. And I'm really proud that the organization has pushed that forward in five, in the last five years. That's,
0: that's wonderful. And it, it speaks to something that just smack really what i'm hearing is is vision is vision of like thinking outside of the boundaries thinking outside of the box and it's like you know libraries maybe view this this and i think having it like viewed also like doing what you do well you know having information and being in to provide that and all of those things but also being a part of the community, and as you touched on, serving not just one part of the community, not just one person that fits into the, to the community, but the community macroly speaking, right. that's very important. And w- one of the things that's also in there, if we're, we're being like frank about it, when or or Steve or Tony, probably Frank, let's just be frank about it. Um, <laughs> I, I think when we're we're being frank about it, that you know, the world, the way that things are structured, at times. Aren't easy for people who are poor, if if we're being honest about it. And it does it, it doesn't pay to be poor, as it were. But I think being in a spot where you come from that lived experience and having things like I've I've been in that situation before. Where it's like Ugh, I can't really afford this. I'm not gonna make this work. And it's always been like the library as a a place to still get that information because. You know people who may not have the same amount of resources as someone else shouldn't be cut off from information or knowledge or the opportunity to pursue something
1: right that's right yeah i think that's key to it is also providing that space they shouldn't people shouldn't be cut off and we can provide that space and i also you know i've been on a um major push in the last five years for us to rethink our infrastructure. And we just are uh, really close to finishing our first full master facilities plan in um, over a decade. And so um, I'm really excited about it because it creates helps us create a vision for what we want our facilities to look like. Because my other pieces, I really think our spaces should provide space for people to be and to normalize some of the experiences they might be having in a way that makes them feel healthy and whole and not, you know, there's this penalty of like, if you're poor, our, our computer banks, I'm going to use our, us as an example. I hate, I hate computer banks and libraries. And so as we think about remodeling and redoing buildings, we're redoing them because for me, they create just a second class citizenship. So you come into libraries, you don't have a home computer, you don't have home internet. Um, and now you have to sit in this long bank in an uncomfortable chair with you know this much space to work. And you have to sit right next to someone and that someone could look over your shoulder. And we serve a lot of vulnerable populations. So a lot of fights might break out or people might push around. But it's this sort of feeling of like, okay, one, you have the shame and stigma of not having the internet at home for whatever reason. And now we're going to put you in a situation that feels very second class. And to me, I'm like, let's create better situations because being poor doesn't have to have a penalty, right? Just like you don't have to pay a fine. We could also create beautiful spaces where someone who's really wealthy and just needs to use their laptop because they're, or or middle class or whatever, just wants headspace and wants to be in what we would call public private space, right? Right. So you're doing a private thing, but you want to be in public, Um, you know, in, in terms of like, working on a paper or a resume or whatever. You don't want to do it in your apartment or your house. You want to be in public, but you don't want to pay for a latte. So we have those <laughs> spaces. But then we also have um, people who need to be in that space. And they can be in that space together, and they can feel like it's a warm, welcoming space with really attractive and beautiful people. Um, surrounding so that they have that equal headspace, right? Yeah. So that's one of the things that libraries also do really well is democratize um, our experiences together. You can come in and, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Rob or if you're Heidi or if you're Frank or Steve, right? Like <laughs> you, get, you get this space and this is a space we will share together. And maybe would we wouldn't normally ever be in a space together, but in the public library we are. And to me, that's always been really beautiful, whether it's someone, getting a book for their kid or someone who's homeless needing a brief respite from the stress of their life. And they yeah. should be able to do that in an attractive public infrastructure. And that's, we should provide those spaces.
0: And, and, and that's community, you know? Yeah. So I want to tap on this real quick, um, little, little career oriented stuff. Um, so aside from hard work and talent, because we all work hard, we all have talent. Yeah. Uh, let's look under the hood a bit. Tell us about like any chance encounters or, or luck that's helped you in your career, because I think a lot of times those things are left out. You know, we all live in social media for better or for worse, and people leave out the the things that kind of stitch together that kind of like, oh, yeah, I met this person at this coffee shop and they had the same book I had. And I was a chance encounter. So, so tell me about any of those that come to mind.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of, I feel like a lot of my life is luck and chance. Like, I feel like all of our lives are a lot of luck and chance, right? Mixed in with like knowing when to grab that opportunity that looks like luck. But um, so I I would say my first job in a library was a chance luck opportunity that I tripped upon. You know, here I was, um, I had ended up in Oklahoma City through a long story and um I was looking for a job. I was working for an arts council. I was thinking about getting, I was getting, you know, taking some MBA classes and someone said, you should apply for this job in libraries. You would be such a good fit. And I was like, oh, ha ha ha. But I did. (laughs) And you know, here I am. It's turned into like a really successful career. It wasn't the career I had planned. It wasn't the career I had thought of. Um, No point in time, as much as I loved public libraries, at no point in time did I plan for this to be my career. You know, it, just happened by chance. And then even more chance I had I went into an outreach department and I happened to have a boss at the time who was so far out of the box. Um, she almost never said no she really just let us run with every crazy idea and I at the time I was in my early 20s I had a lot of crazy ideas (laughs) um you know I had pink hair nose ring like you know I was (laughs) just all over the place and she said go work with teens and I think you'll love it and I did love it and I created this like really great community with um the teens I was working with I worked in juvenile justice centers I worked with teen moms I worked in schools and if I hadn't had that experience if she hadn't been my boss, I guarantee you, I would not have stayed in, if I had gone into a traditional library role, I would not be here today, because it was the experience I needed at just the right moment to introduce me to a career that would be meaningful for me. I'd also probably be a very different kind of director, because um, I would be very focused on maybe traditional reference, or, you know, I care maybe more about mark records, which are important, because it's how you find things in the catalog, but just aren't my personal passion. So um, I think, That was just luck. And then I've had a lot of mentors. I don't think we can ever say enough about someone who will take you under their wing and give you good advice. Um, Having a director in Houston public who, you know, mentored a lot of folks who are now directors throughout the country. Um, I was very fortunate to work for her um, and very fortunate that she was from Baltimore. (laughs) So that's how I ended up here. So all of those little things are just luck and chance that sort of tie together. I've also tried to extend this because I think I've had a lot of grace in my career. Mm-hmm. I've had the fortune to work with a lot of people who could correct me when maybe I was a little off the rails and in a way that I could be responsive to and that was empathetic and that modeled that kind of leadership, um, which has made me a more empathetic leader and made me someone who ex- who tries to extend a little bit of grace and kindness when folks need it too. So.
0: That's that's definitely keen on that last part. That's, that's something that's very important, I think. Uh, coming out of the peak of the pandemic, because we're not out of the pandemic, but coming out of the peak of it, I think, and, and recognizing that it's been a lot of pivots and people have recalibrated their beliefs on how they go about work and how they go about time. And certain things may take more precedence. So being able to extend grace, being able to understand that S happens, as it were, uh, it's it's that's that's really important. And I think when we look at uh, things like quiet quitting or the great resignation and so on yeah, money's a piece of it, but just coming into an environment that doesn't really afford for grace and doesn't really afford for understanding, that's one of the main reasons why people are leaving. So having leadership that values that and believes in that is is important and integral to the success of any institution, any, any place.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's, you balance that with accountability because people want ultimately to be accountable, right? I think um, it's helpful. And we obviously have a job we have to get done. Um, and I think that that's also part of, you know, when we talk about like, what are things that have influenced us or what are the sort of luck I, you know, in college, it's this is very hard for everyone to believe, but I have not always been a model student or a model citizen. Like I you know, um, had my fair share of like crazy days and wildness and all of that. And I was in college, I wasn't doing an exceptional job. And I had a professor say to me, like, hey, listen, like, if you don't, pull your stuff together, you're going to end up back home cleaning toilets with, you know what I mean? Like you're going to like, not that there's anything wrong with that because my mom did it, but she, she happened to know like what my family history was. And I did not take that um, message well at the time because I was in college, I was working for something bigger, but then I thought about it and I was like, you know what, she's right. Like my mom is literally cleaning toilets so that I could be here and I'm squandering this by not taking it seriously. And so sometimes you, that accountability piece, right. is like, important.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um that we don't mess up the opportunities and the grace that's been extended to us. So as, as a leader, I try to balance those things.
0: So so this is the the last real question that I have and I've been adding rapid fire questions as we've gone along cuz it's going to be very robust. But uh, so the last question I have, I like to, you know, as I touched on earlier, kind of getting into like the luck and some of the other pockets of what someone's story may be that's baked into what their career is and what they're doing. Tell me about any experience that you that comes to mind, and, and maybe that was there in in college. But tell me about an experience like that really sucked, that was really painful, or what have you. But you wouldn't be where you're at in your career without having that experience.
1: Yeah. So there's, you know, a few. Um, I think you know, there were a lot of times in college that really sucked for me because I think when you go from Um, a very working class or, uh, you know, lower income environment into academia, uh, there's a very much, at least at the time, I think this is, I hope to think this has gotten better, but at the time there was very much a middle class mindset, right? Like it was like a culture switch. So um, I had to learn all of those rules, and I didn't say words correctly, and people laughed at me, and um, I mean, I very much remember being in class and being like, I can't remember exactly what the conversation was about, but I clearly remember the shame because I was like, um, I just think your point is um, superfluous. And the person laughed and they're like, Are you trying to say superfluous? And I was like, I mean, I've only ever read it in a book. I don't know. That's what it looked like. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. So, like, you're going into this. Or I said Italian. because That's how everybody said where I grew up. Like, oh, I'll have the Italian dressing. And you're like, No, <laughs> it's not it's, it's Italian. You know, so like, just kind of not letting that completely just, it, those are teeny tiny things. And there are bigger yeah. examples like I could point to, but not letting stuff like that eat you up. You know, we all have imposter syndrome, but I think. As we, as, and, and certainly I have a lot of privileges and a lot of advantages, and I very much recognize who I am and what those privileges are. But I think just being able to relate to that experience of having to switch to a different culture and figure out how you fit in there and how much that it can impact. Your imposter syndrome and your self-esteem and just figuring out how to not let that eat you up. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are tiny examples, but there's so many big examples we could share. So that whole thing was just sort of a really tough experience to learn how to like to do and to still be successful. And then there was plenty of really sucky experiences in my career. Right. Bad managers we all know bad managers. It doesn't matter how great leadership is whether you're working under a bad manager, the CEO could be fantastic and it's not going to matter. Like I've had to work under some, you know, very not super, not super great managers and um, that, you know, we all do, right? Like being super broke in your career and trying to figure out how you're going to like like knowing that you have to get to a big meeting and at the same time being like, Oh, I don't know if I can afford to pay my car insurance and I don't want to drive to this meeting with like expired car, like all of that stuff. I think throughout my career, it sucks. But then now that I'm sitting in the seat, I also feel like it's a huge advantage because it just makes me a better person. Yeah. Um. I think, you know, it, it's a balance, but so there's been lots of like, um, Lots of suck, but you go like, you know, I'm, I'm a runner. So I always tell myself, like, there's no way to get through the suck except through it, right? Like you just have to get through it, but you have to have that vision of what your finish line is and what's on the other end. And I think I would tell that to anyone, like, and it doesn't matter where you are in your life. Like you're going to go through suck. You just have to know what's on the other end of that. And you have to have a vision for it. Like you can't know it, but you can have a vision for it. Um, and I think I was having an interesting conversation with someone recently because they were talking about like, oh, you know, we empower kids to like have accountability and pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And for me, I'm always like, yeah, but like a lot of kids I know don't have bootstraps. So it's really hard to pull yourself up by them if they don't exist in the first place. And I think being conscious of that is something that was given to me by the suck. So to be able to say like, hey, that kid needs bootstraps, let's give them to him. You know, like, I think, I don't think that you're able to, to, maybe understand that quite as much. And in my, if you haven't had some of that in your life, and I think in my position, it's really important to have that. So I would say that that's, you know, those are, those are my words on getting through this, the the parts of your life that are less than awesome.
0: Thank you. And, uh, I think a lot of kids don't have bootstraps because, you know, they're wearing Crocs, these, these newfangled Crocs, uh, (laughs) back in my day,
1: little doodads on them. Like they all put those little, like, I don't know what they are, like, buttons or something, I
0: do <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've had the same thing. And, you know, at times where, you know, when I go to an Italian restaurant and I want extra mozzarella, you know, yeah. I, that's, that's not how I order, but still, you know, it, it's, it's a thing. And yeah, um, I think being able to get past it and, you know, I've had, I've had some sucky things that, you know, just sit there and it's environments where people with a fair amount of privilege don't recognize it. And, seeing that writing something on a performance review, like this six foot four wow. black man, it's intimidating and scary. It's a really weird thing to write. Right. So it's just like, you know, that sucks, but it's like, all right, this is taking those feelings and taking that that energy as opportunity to it's opportunity for change, it's opportunity for perspective and to, you know, see what part of that role that I may be playing, but also see like, now nah, I don't know if this is true though. And it gives me it gives me context and it gives me that other piece where, you know, someone else may not see it that way. And I may be to have a different perspective and be able to lean in to tell someone who could be in that spot like this could come off like this. So just be mindful of it. And, you know, so with that, I want to dive into some rapid fire questions. um, And and thank you for indulging all of this and indulging this piece, too, because this is going to be ridiculous. Uh, So. (laughs) I wanna start off with this first question. Um, and brevity is key here. Aside from physics, what is, was your favorite subject in school?
1: <laughs> oh, English, hands down, like okay. not surprisingly, yeah.
0: <laughs> that was a little trolly the way I started that one off, I'll admit. <laughs> it was,
1: it was a little trolly, knowing my weakness in physics.
0: <laughs> I was weak in physics too. Um, that stopped me from pursuing a, I wanted to go to college for robotics. Oh. And I ended up just switching to business, but like Bachelor's of Science, because I'm an analyst and i was just like uh physics was the reason physics was the reason i made that shift i was like nope can't do it i won't survive
1: yeah
0: uh favorite drink uh
1: coffee
0: okay how do you take your coffee
1: well it depends on the time of day i'm very so first cup of coffee of the day has to i drink a lot of coffee um i have adhd and i've self-medicated for most of my life so um i drink a black cup of coffee in the morning and then usually a second cup of black coffee Maybe third, depending on the day it's going. But by afternoon, I switch to like a latte or something creamy or like, you know, maybe add in a little sugar here and there. So maybe a little flavor. So it depends on the time of day.
0: (laughs) It'd be a good opportunity to get that classic Rob Lee drink that's on menus available in the city.
1: Oh, really? What is that?
0: It's a nice coffee with a bit of cinnamon, uh, some simple syrup uh, all year round. Just that iced coffee. It's a very smooth, delicious drink. But ask for it by name. Okay, I, I'm
1: going to start asking for my name. That sounds delicious.
0: It's great. It's great, actually. Uh, chocolate or vanilla? Uh,
1: chocolate.
0: Okay. So far, you're batting a thousand. Uh, okay. You mentioned earlier having pink hair back in the day. My partner has pink hair, so I, I, I must. Uh, what is your favorite color currently?
1: Purple. Okay. Very, very, very always making purple.
0: A, making a lot of friends here. I see.
1: Good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I got two more for you. Um, do you have a hidden talent? You mentioned you were a runner earlier, so that could be one, but do you have a hidden talent?
1: I don't know. I always say that I'm not talented, that I'm just like pure grit. So, um, I don't know. Answering your rapid fire questions. Is that kind of the talent? I'm good at that. <laughs> sure, sure.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And running. I have short legs, but they move. Like, I'm not super fast, but I, I can stick through it. So
0: That's that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I I got nothing. I, I just, I know how to string <laughs> together a few words here and there, and people seem to like it. I don't know. Uh, lastly, and this this is very, um, almost like a shameless plug before we actually get into the shameless plugs portion of this podcast, but upcoming, what really excites you about the Enoch Pratt Free Library? What's on the horizon?
1: Oh, lots of great things. Um, We have Jamel Hill coming up, um, which next week, which is fantastic. If you're not familiar with Jamel Hill, you should definitely check her out. She was uh, an African-American female sportscaster on ESPN, has a fantastic story. We're really excited to have her. We have W. Cuomo Bell coming in November, I believe. He's a, I'm sure you are familiar with him. Um, He is a comedian. He's gonna be fantastic as well. Um, And then we have so many exciting things, like not just all the things I've talked about, our peer navigator and peer support services, um, having, starting to really be able to envision what our buildings are gonna look like in the future. Um, We have an artist in residence program with Shan Wallace, and we're hoping to expand that coming up next year. Um, Our maker spaces, Um, We are about to do a little cosmetic makeover of our Pennsylvania Avenue branch, which is going to be really exciting uh, for children and teens and love that. And just uh, I think over the next five years, we're going to completely change the way people think about libraries in Baltimore.
0: That's wonderful. I love to hear this. Uh, And yeah, a lot of things that I'm adding to my calendar right now. So. Mm -hmm. Um, With that, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. And uh, for those who are undipped, uninitiated, can you tell the fine folks where to check um, the the library out, you out online, all of that good stuff? The floor is yours.
1: Yeah. So uh, you can check us out at www.prattlibrary.org. You can also look at us in the compass. I'm sitting here realizing I didn't bring a compass into the office. Oh, wait. No. Yes, I did. You can check out our compass. I always have it on my desk. You can check out our compass either in any of our branches or you can download it online. This one is all about how we can save you tons and tons of money through all of our free services from streaming movies to, uh, Streaming audio and and ebooks. Don't pay for an Audible. Well, I don't want to case the sponsor somewhere down the line. <laughs> audible is great. You can also get free. <laughs> you can also get free audiobooks through your library to supplement that. Um, you know, so check us out there. And you can also find out information about me at PrattLibrary.org. I don't look at myself as uh, any sort of celebrity, so I'm not an influencer in any other way. So <laughs> there's not really any other place to check me out personally. So. My kid's
0: school, maybe. That's it. So so there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank the great Heidi Daniel for coming on. Enoch Pratt Free Library. Enoch Pratt Free Library. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, community in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it.